This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. During this heat wave, I've called out to the Lord for help, and uh, hey, I think he's answered. It's going to get down to 105 later on this week, and I'm like, kids, get the winter clothes back out, because that's going to feel like a cold front right there. 105, I can't even... Man, that sounds beautiful right now. Okay, well, uh, we're going to get into our to the word tonight. Uh, we've been in a series called the Son of Jesse, and of course, we know the Son of Jesse in the Bible is King David. And uh, Acts thirteen twenty two, I'm just reviewing here, tells us that God said about David that this is David, the son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart. And as we've pointed out, that David is the only person. That God said that about. He didn't say that about anybody else. He said, David is a man after my own heart. And yes, there's a lot of other great guys that I believe were men after God's heart. I believe Moses and Abraham and and Noah and Paul and Peter and John. I believe they were. But God made a very specific point to have it recorded in Scripture that David, the son of Jesse, was a man after God's own heart. And so with that, I was, you know, I'm studying this and I'm like, man, wouldn't that be great if God said that about me? That's what I want. When it's all said and done, I want God to say, this was a man after my own heart. And so if I'm going to get there, I know one thing that I can do is study the life of David because he's the only one that God said that about. And if I can copy some of the good things from David's life, I believe that I'm well on the way, right? And we we saw last week, um, maybe it was two weeks ago, that David was not a perfect man. You know, we had to read about repentance. David made some very bad mistakes, but he repented. And God forgave him. And God ended up saying he's a man after my own heart because he was repentant. He didn't make excuses for his sin. He didn't he didn't try to justify and say, well, yes, I did commit adultery, but, you know, it's not my, you know, I did it. It was wrong, but here's my reason. No, David just fessed up and said, no, I did it. It was wrong. No excuses. I should not have done that. I am wrong. I was wrong in this. And God forgave him. Amen. And so. This week we're on part five of of studying the life of King David. And what we're going to talk about tonight is praise and worship. Because there's some things people know about if I say King David. All right, everyone knows, okay, he killed Goliath. And another thing most basic Christians know is this, is that he did write most of the Psalms. And David was a man of praise and worship. Most, Most people know Goliath, and they know that he was a man of worship. Now, as we study this tonight, I want us to see that that there is there is a difference between praise and worship, and we're going to explain this. But if I ask the average person, what's the difference between praise and worship? Oh, that's easy. Praise is the fast, loud songs. Worship's the slow, quiet ones. Duh. Well, no. I, I mean, a lot of times it works out that way, where the praise songs are the louder and fast. But that just because the song is loud and fast doesn't make it a praise song, okay? You can have a worship song that's loud and, and fast and hard or whatever. But, but the, you know, some people, there, there seems to be some confusion here. And I'll tell you this, the man after God's own heart, the son of Jesse, he knew the difference. And he praised and he worshipped. And God did miraculous things in his life. And, you know, as we as you read the Psalms, you'll see a lot of times 
Uh, there's there's headers above some of the psalms, especially in your modern translation. Let's say this is a psalm of David written during the time that he was hiding from King Saul in the cave at Adullam, or or written during the time that that Nathan the prophet rebuked him for sinning. And 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 so a lot of times there's a little bit of a, a header telling you what was going on in David's life when he wrote that psalm. And a lot of the psalms, David is coming from a low place, but during David's low times, he always went to God in praise and in worship, always. And and it's incredible to see as you study him, the true heart of a worshiper and a praiser. And and David was both of these things. And and we know David was a musician. And sometimes musicians are sensitive dudes, okay? Not not making fun, but I'm just sometimes they are. And so David, I mean, he was really good at, at laying his emotions out there. Most men aren't like that. I mean, let's get real. But David could just lay his emotions out there and say, God, this is what's going on. And and and, and he would lay it all there, but he'd say, but I know you are the rock. You are my redeemer. My help comes from the Lord. And then in the end, he would always pull it together with that but David was no doubt a man that knew how to praise and he knew how to worship and so we're going to study this for a few minutes tonight and see what the difference is and see how David uh, lived this life of being a praiser and a worshiper amen so let's open this in prayer and get in Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And your word is the most precious gift that we have in this world. We are thankful that we have Bibles. We're thankful that we have the word of God that we can turn to and find every answer that we could possibly ever need. And God, I pray tonight that as we open up your word, that you're going to speak to each person here. You're going to show us what we need to see tonight, because God, you know what each one of us needs to see. I pray you reveal that to us, speak to us, and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So number one is David praised. Number one, David was a praiser. And so there's a few different ways that David praised as he as you study the Psalms. There's a few different ways that David praised. So if you're a note taker, normally I'm kind of a preacher. You guys know me. I get a little loud and excited. Tonight's going to be more of a teaching lesson. Probably. Who knows? I'll probably yell by the end. But but for the, right now we're in teaching mode. OK, so just go with me here. So there's few different ways that David outlined that he praised. And, and the first thing is, is that David praised with singing. And we're going to look at Psalm 9, verse 11. Psalm 9, verse 11. 911. Hello. Psalm 9, verse 11. And, uh, and so this is uh, one way that David praised. Psalm 9, verse 11. And I'm telling you this tonight, if you are going through a, a, a struggle, man, if you're going through one of those things that David was going through, a, a difficult time, tonight is a night for you to get answers, man, to get the help you need. You're going to learn how to praise and worship God. Psalm verse 9, excuse me, Psalm chapter 9, verse 11. And so David says, sing praises to the Lord who reigns in Jerusalem. Tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. And so right here, David says, sing praises to God. And so definitely one way to praise God is definitely through singing, through song. And so David right here and in many other spots, but he says, sing praises to God. Then he says, tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. 
And so when we praise, oftentimes, man, we're singing about what God has done for us, right? You know, a few minutes ago, I called, you answered, you came to my rescue. Listen, that's praising God right there. That's exciting. When we praise God, we're singing about the things that he's done and the things that he can do. Amen. And so that's what praising. And so David says right here, tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. That is praising right there is telling the world about his unforgettable deeds. And so right here, Psalm 911, David is praising what God has done. All right. And so I'm going to show you another way that David praised. OK, he could praise through song, but I want you to turn to Psalm 98. So flip over a little bit. Psalm 98. And we're going to look at verse four. Psalm 98, verse four. And so right here, David explains how you can praise by shouting like what? Yeah, you can praise just by shouting to God. That is one form of praise. So Psalm 98, verse four. Psalm 98, verse four, David says, shout to the Lord, all the earth, shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. And so no doubt about it, one way that we can praise is to shout unto God. And, you know, this is obviously uh, probably what sets maybe, you know, our spirit filled churches apart from a lot of others, amongst many other things. But we're not afraid to shout out to God, are we? Are we afraid to shout to God tonight? No, we're not afraid to shout to God. We're not ashamed about it. And I can't tell you how many times, man, that I, I've just seen somebody shout out to God and, you know, hallelujah. And they're they're praising God in that moment. And, you know, some people are like, well, that's a little bit undignified. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, listen, that you do your thing, but check it out. One way to praise God is to shout unto God. And David says it right here. Shout to God, man. Shout all the earth. Sing praises to him. And so one way that 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 uh, that David wrote that we could praise God is to shout unto him. And so David, he was wild with his praise, man. He wasn't. Listen, if your reason for praising God is, you know, so other people can see you doing it, then you're praising God for all the wrong reasons anyway. If you don't care, then you'll shout, man. You'll do whatever. You'll clap. You'll jump. It doesn't matter. You're praising God for him, not for everybody else in the room. If you're if you're trying to please them, then I mean, fine, do your thing. But but uh, I mean, I'm here to praise God. Amen. And so David said, shout unto God all the earth. And so one way of praising God is just being able to shout unto God. And we've done that. Amen. And so let me show you another way here. I'm, I'm hitting a lot of verses tonight. But but another way is in Psalm 150, verse four. Now, Psalm 150 is the last Psalm. Psalm 150, verse four. And this whole uh, this whole chapter right here, the 150th Psalm is all about praising God. But Psalm 150 and verse 4, it says this, Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. You know, we, I'll just keep going. These, these won't be on the screen. But praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with a loud clanging cymbal. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Let everything that hath breath 
praise the Lord. And so another way that it is written that we can praise God is through instruments and dancing, right? We just saw, am I making that up or is that another way to genuinely praise God? You can praise God with your instrument. You can praise God with dancing. So why is it that almost every Christian, every church everywhere, they the only recognizable way that they identify to praise God is simply through song? Why is that? That's one way to praise God for sure. Singing is definitely one of the main ways we praise God, but it's not the only way. David praised God with dancing, as I'm getting ready to show you, and with even with just playing his instrument. And, you know, I, being a musician, there I can say that there are times that, yeah, man, you just totally get out of your mind and get into your spirit, and you can praise God with your instrument. And the times that... that the, the worship band actually gets into not just playing it to, you know, do a really good job with that guitar or with, you know, with those drums. And that's great. We want it to be high quality. But when they get past that and get out of themselves and get into the spirit of God and are worshiping with an instrument, that is a beautiful thing. And the presence of God comes in. David, as you know, well, you may know, but but oftentimes, you know, he, he was a musician. He played the harp. He played an instrument called the lyre that was similar to the harp, L-Y-R-E. And, and David, he, he would play these instruments. And and, uh, and and Samuel has recorded how King Saul, as we know, Saul was kind of he took some he took some wrong turns, went the wrong way. But evil spirits would come and torment Saul. And so before Saul hated David, he would have David come in and just play the harp, and it says the evil spirits would leave from Saul. Now, do you think that was just because David was a really, really, really good harp player? No, I mean, we could, like, put some Van Halen on, but I've never felt the presence of God from, you know what I mean? Great guitar player, but I've never just felt the spirit come in on that. You know, so it takes more than just being a talented musician, right? That's nice. Bravo. That's good. But when you get a musician like David that played his instrument in the spirit, and so David would just get that harp, man, and start playing that harp, and the presence and the anointing of God would come in, and evil spirits would leave Saul and would leave the room. Why is that? Is because David knew how to use that instrument for praise and for worship. Amen? And so no wonder David could write later on, you know, praise him with the strings, praise him with the cymbals, praise him with the flute, praise him with dancing. Because David, he praised and worshipped God in all of these ways. He also sang, but he did all of these other things. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what I'm aiming for. I want to be a man after God's own heart. And if I'm going to do that, I know that one way I'm going to get there is by being a man that knows how to praise. And so David, he praised God and he wasn't he didn't care what other people thought. He, it was all for God, not for others. And so let's flip back now to Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Let's get back there. And I'm going to show you an example of David getting his praise on. All right. This is this is uh, this is David getting his praise on. We're going to look at chapter six. I think it's chapter six, second Samuel six. And so. In second Samuel five, uh, David has uh, has captured the city of Jerusalem. We've mentioned this a few times, but there there were these uh, people that occupied the city at the time called the Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites, they thought it'd be a good idea. They knew David had just taken over the kingdom and everything. And so he's he's looking to uh, 
to have a capital city, man, for the new kingdom. He was currently in this city called Hebron, and he's like, no, this this is good, but this isn't like the, the pl- I didn't say Lebron, I said Hebron, okay? So calm down, y'all. But, <laughs> but anyway, Hebron was the, was David's capital city at the time, and so he's like, no, Jerusalem's supposed to be the city of God. That's supposed to be, and so he's going up there, and the Jebusites are like, we're not afraid of you, David. Man, a blind person could keep you out. A blind, and they're, they're trash-talking David. And David's like, okay, just hang on. I'll, I'll be right there. He wipes the city out in like one day, just kicks them out of their houses, kicks them out and takes over the city. And so David is in the, uh, Jerusalem is his new place. And he decides we've got to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God into Jerusalem. And so there they go and they get it and they're bringing it to Jerusalem. And David gets so excited and, and because this contains the presence of God, right? At this At this point in time, The presence of God did not live inside of people. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them yet. Okay, there were certain people, prophets and priests and some kings that were fortunate enough at that point in time to be allowed to be around the presence of God or or they were allowed to, to hear from God for you. But it wasn't like it is now. You have it a lot better than David had it. You have it a lot better than any Old Testament person had it because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Amen. That's you don't realize how awesome that is. I mean, they had to go to the prophet and see if he could give him a word. I can just talk straight to God. God, do you have a word for me? Can you, you know, and he'll send me to the. Amen. This is good stuff. But David, they're bringing the ark into the city and David gets so excited that he just burst into, into dancing and praising. So second Samuel chapter six. Let's look here at verse 14. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so, I mean, there's a procession, a parade of people bringing the ark in. They're all praising and worshiping and David's dancing and leading the whole thing. He's the praise leader here. He even puts on a fancy garment to do this in. He's dancing and and people are rejoicing. It's a big praise service. It's going awesome. And says, so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. And so they're getting into it, man. They're singing, they're dancing, they're playing instruments, they're celebrating and all this stuff. But look here at verse 16. Look here at verse 16. It says, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She got mad that David was dancing before the Lord. She went to a church that said, you can't dance. I'm kidding. But but she she's in she's in the spot. She's like, man, my husband looks like a fool down there. This is embarrassing. And David, he's just he's cutting a rug, man. He's going at it. He's dancing, going wild. And everybody else is going wild. They're praising, praising God. And she looks down there and she's so upset. She is so disgusted with her husband that it says she was filled with contempt for him. That's not good. Because David wasn't doing anything wrong. He was praising God and his wife got so mad at him. So look down here at verse 20. So the the procession's over and everything's done. The festivities over. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. 
See, that can make for some, uh, <laughs> woo, all right. So, I mean, David, he, he's like, God chose me above your dad. Jeez, David, calm down, man. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. He's like, you thought that was bad. I can get a lot worse than that, sister. He's like, that was nothing compared to what I could do. And so he's like, he's not playing around. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Wow. She was never able to have children because of this instance right here. And so I read that. I'm like, I'm never going to make fun of how somebody else praises ever again. You do what you do, do your thing, man. You know, I, I'm, God's not going to strike you. But I'm just saying, like, God takes it seriously how we praise. Right. What does it say? David wrote that God inhabits the praises of his people. God dwells. His presence come in, comes in when there's the praising from his people. And so praising is a great big deal to God. And so she was against it. She made fun of it. And, it, you know, it cost her. Now, again, I'm not saying God's going to do something to you, okay? But I am saying that let's take this seriously, that, that, that God inhabits the praise of his people. And one thing I've noticed is that when somebody gets really passionate, it for God every time it offends the lukewarm Christians. Anyone else notice that? Like, gee, calm down over there, man. Like, what? Just that? that I, don't, I don't get that guy, man. I, I just don't get it. And, and you know, whenever there's fire, man, whenever you turn up the heat and the passion for God, people that are half baked and lukewarm, they don't get it. It makes them upset every time. Every I can't tell you how many thousands of times I've seen this when someone is gung ho on fire for God and the other people that are so mature because they've been in the church for 50 years. Like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Wait, wait, someday he'll understand. And listen, David uh, apparently never understood because he danced before God all the way to the end, man. David never let go of this passion. David never gave up being a praiser and a worshiper. And so I can tell you this, when you get passionate, when you get on fire for God and when you truly praise God, yeah, it's going to it's going to you know rub the lukewarmers the wrong way. You turn up the heat, they run, man. They say, "Well, he's a fanatic, man. He's a lunatic." Uh, hey, I'd rather be crazy for God than make you happy. All right. And so anyway, uh, so so David, he definitely rubbed some people the wrong way because he didn't care what they thought. He was just going to praise God. And I can tell you this. I want to have results like David had. Amen. I want to have the same type of results that David had. David won victory after victory because God was on his side. Amen. And so, number one, David praised. But number two, let's get into this. David worshipped. Not only did David praise, but he also sang the slow songs. No, <laughs> no, David worshipped. David worshipped. And, you know, I, I, I've heard it said this way, that praise is about God. Worship is to God. Praise is opening up. Worship is entering in. Praise is boldly declaring worship is humbly bowing down to God. Now, praise applauds what God has done. Worship is honoring God for who he is. 
And so, again, in a praise song, we're singing all these things about how great God is, how the, the marvelous things that he's done, his, you know, how awesome his power is, how his power can save us, his power can heal us. That is awesome, wonderful. I love it. Those are that's the best. I love it. But then worshiping God is just singing to him, honoring his name, worshiping him, not saying, I love you because you can do this for me. I love you because you've done this for me in the past. That's fine. That's good. You should do that. That's praise. But worship is not that. Worship is just singing to God and telling him how wonderful he is just because he's wonderful. Not because he can bless you, not because he can do miracles. That's all awesome. But that's not what worship is. Worship is, I love you for who you are. I adore you for who you are. I, I love you. You're, you know, that's what worship is. And so I showed you a couple of psalms that were praise psalms. Let me show you a worship psalm. Let's look at Psalm 29. Psalm 29. And so I believe that you'll see a difference in the wording here of this psalm. And David even uses the word worship here. But, but notice the difference in what he's saying right here. Psalm 29. We're going to look at the first couple of verses here, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. And if you can get this, if you can comprehend and see what worship is and push into this level of worship, man, this will, oh, this will entry into a whole new realm with God. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. This is a psalm of David. It says, he wrote, honor the Lord, you heavenly beings, honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, notice in this writing here, he doesn't say worship God for all the great things that he's done for us. Worship him because he saved you, because he healed you, because he delivered you, set you free. That that would be praise. But David is specifically right here. Verse two says, just worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, if you're not a worshiper, you're like, that sounds kind of neat, but big whoop, you know, the word, the splendor of his holiness. That's 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 great. But when you're a worshiper, that means something a little bit more to you. You see that as, I just, God, I'm just here to worship you, not because I need anything, not because I'm asking for anything today. I just want to worship you for who you are and the splendor of your holiness. I just want to worship you because of your name. That's worshiping God. And notice the difference here. Do you see that? And compared to some of the other ones we just read, where David's just saying, I just worship you for the splendor of your holiness, because this is just all about God right here. It's not about what God can do for me, what I need God to do for me. This is, I just love you. You're my God. You're my Father. I I just want to tell you, I love you. You're holy. You're righteous. You're everything, Lord. I worship you. That's what this is right here. And so, as we, as I said a minute ago, the praise is, is opening up, but worship is entering in. And I can say this, in my personal experience, it's been a lot easier for me to praise than to worship. Okay? It's a lot easier for me to just praise God and sing about the great things He's done and, and remember all the times He's bailed me out. I mean, I can do that all day long, but it, it's a lot harder to, to plug into worship. Because at that point, you're laying down your whole agenda. You're laying down all of your needs, all of your wants, all of your desires, all of your burdens, everything. When you finally get into worship, you're laying that aside and you're just coming to God saying, this is all about you, Lord. I Forget all that other stuff. 
Lord, I'm just here to worship you. That's a lot harder to do because we're human beings and our own problems weigh on our minds. We think about ourselves a lot, don't we? Amen. I mean, yeah, we think about ourselves because we have to live with us. You know what I mean? I know what I'm going through. I know what I need. You know what? And so when you come to worship, though, that's when you lay all those things aside and you're just solely talking to God about him for him to him. And it has nothing to do with you at that point. You're just telling God how awesome he is, not because you want something from him, just because you love him. That's worship. And that's a lot harder to do. And I know probably most people, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I could, nobody could give a, an exact stat on this, but I would say that most people don't truly get into a worship experience. Because most of the time when we're singing, we're like, God, you're so awesome. And I'm telling you this because I really need your help. I need you to bail me out of this one. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? We do come to God and we, we can praise our way through the battle, man. That's totally biblical, but that's not worship. Worship is just singing to God because you love him. Just because you want to tell him how awesome he is. That's worship. And so David knew the difference between the two, and he did both. A whole lot of the Psalms are David praising, and a whole lot of them are David worshiping. And so I I read one minister say, praise is easy, worship is not. Praise is easy. Worship is not because worship is the art of losing yourself in the adoration of God. When you worship God, when you worship, you're losing yourself just in the pure adoration and love for God. You forget all about you. You when you truly get into worship, you forget that you exist. You are so locked into God and how awesome and wonderful and pure and beautiful and holy and perfect that he is that you don't even you don't even thinking of your problems. You're not even thinking of your your desires and your needs. You're just telling God how much you love him. And, you know, you uh, parents, you know what it's like. Your kids, sometimes they come up and, you know, I, I, I'll take any hugs that I can get from my kids. I love it. But sometimes I come up, Daddy, I love you so much. Hey, can we get some ice cream? Like. Okay, you know, I love you, sure, you know, but there's other times where they just come up, Daddy, I just love you so much, and you're waiting for it, and they were just there to tell you they love you. I love that when they just come to say, Dad, I love you so much, you're the best, that's awesome, and there's, you know, there's, I'm not mad when they come and, and, you know, they want to hug me and then, you know, ask me for something, I don't care, I'm their dad, you know. Joel's been trying to buy his own stuff at restaurants. Can I buy my own drink, Dad? No, you can't. I'm your dad. I pay for I pay for your basic needs. If you want to go buy a toy with your money, that's fine. But I'm not going to let my kids buy their own dinner when I'm standing right there with my money. You know what I mean? I mean, you do what you want to do. That's just my personal thing. They're not paying for their own food. You know, I, I'll cover the food bill, okay? I can do that much. But But there's times where they just, you know, they just come up and hug you because they love you. And that's what worship is. You're just coming to tell God you love him just simply because you love him. That's worship. And so I want to show you a New Testament teaching on worship. And it comes from none other than Jesus himself. Let's look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Does anybody besides my dad here know the main uh, story of John chapter 4? Who Jesus was talking to in John 4? Anyone? Just curious. Other than dad. All right. He's talking to the woman at the well. And 
this is an interesting story for a whole lot of reasons, but Jesus fits this teaching on worship in here that's incredible. John chapter 4. And kind of gives us a, a, some New Testament teaching on worship. John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And, and so, as you know, Jesus is at this well in Samaria. And this, this woman comes up and he's like, hey, could you get me a drink? And so they start this conversation and everything. But look at John chapter 4, verse 20. And so she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? And so there's a debate here. The Jews said you can only worship in Jerusalem and the Samaritans said, no, you can only worship on this mountain over here. This is the only place that you can worship God. Seriously? You know, this is a debate they have. But look what Jesus says for the New Testament. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He's saying it doesn't matter where you worship God. And to us, we're like, well, yeah, I know that you can worship God anywhere. She didn't know that this was like a big deal. You're serious. You can worship God from anywhere. But look at this. Verse 22. He said, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Uh Oh, while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. And yes, Jesus Jewish. Yeah, salvation came through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So the Samaritans up to this point in time, they were worshiping as best they could in spirit. They were putting their hearts into it, but it wasn't in truth. And look at this. He says, verse 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is our New Testament example for worshiping God, doing it in spirit and in truth. Now, I've been to some churches where they were worshiping God in truth. They were maybe singing a song that was totally biblical, but it wasn't in spirit. You know what I mean? They're just, oh, oh, it's, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's 10 after. It's time for the song service. To God through whom all blessings flow. You know, and they, so they'll sing the praise song and it's totally true. It's scriptural, but they're not worshiping in spirit. It's not from their hearts. They're just, that's that time to sing the praise song. It's it's time for the worship service. And so they're going through the motions, but it is not being done in spirit. You see that? You see what I'm saying? You know, maybe you think I'm judging people, but I have been to some churches where they are worshiping in truth. The, 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 The song and everything is totally biblical, but they're not worshiping in spirit. You know what I mean? And I can tell you that I would rather go to a church any day that is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that, that's, that's our example. Because I've also been to some churches where they're, I mean, they're going wild worshiping in spirit, but they're not worshiping in truth. They're getting totally unbiblical and crazy and wild. And it's not in spirit and in truth. And so worship, 
with only spirit but no truth just leads to a great big emotional experience. And then when you leave the service, you, you basically have a crash like you did off of a caffeine high or something. Like there's a crash afterwards and you felt really good while you were in there. But now that you're out, like you feel just as bad as you did before. You know what I mean? Because it was all spirit, but there was no truth. But when you worship in spirit and in truth, man, that's awesome. You get pumped up while you're in here and you stay pumped up the whole way out the door and even thereafter because you had a true worship experience. So worship that's all spirit, but no truth. It's just a big emotional time. But then again, worship that's all truth and no spirit is just a dry thing of going through the motions and that's also not good so jesus said the time is coming indeed it's here now where it doesn't matter where you worship you can worship from anywhere in the world but the father's seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth that's the true way to worship god and notice jesus specifically said true worshipers so apparently there's fake worshipers I don't want to be one of those, but if there's a true worshiper, then that means there has to be a fake worshiper. And I mean, I'm not going to go into saying who, who that could be, but all I'm saying is this. I don't want to be a fake worshiper. I want when God looks down here to say, oh, that guy's worshiping in spirit and in truth. This is great. This is a man after my own heart. So David, he was a man that praised he worshiped and 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 David didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him yet. We know that because that hadn't, that hadn't happened yet until the New Testament. But David, he would get into the presence of God and David worshiped in spirit and in truth. And so worship in the New Testament in spirit and in truth. Amen. Does that make sense? Do you see that right there? We are to worship in spirit and in truth. And unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no truth in our worship. And so that's why it's so important. You know, we see I see some churches that they're just one, you know, all about the worship. Let, let's worship for two hours. Then let, let's have a five minute sermon because we need to. But man, I, let's get back to the worship. Like, listen, you know, we love to worship, but the word, man, you got to have the truth out there. Jesus is the word and Jesus is the way, truth and life. Right. And so what is truth? The Bible, the, the, the Bible's truth. And so to have a true, genuine, you know, experience of worship in spirit and in truth, we, we can have a great time in the worship service. But you've got to have this, too, because the people that only want to worship all the time, they get super weird, man. And I know some weird people do <laughs> weird people. And and I mean, their hearts are good. They're just weird because they don't have any truth in them. They just want to sing all the time. And that's great. I mean, yeah, we want to sing, sing, sing unto the Lord. Yes. But if you don't get the truth out there, you don't make time for the word. You're just going to get really weird and emotional. You walk around crying all the time and seeing things like that's you don't don't just listen. Worship in spirit and in truth. And don't be weird. Just worship God. Amen. And, and that, you know, when you're truly worshiping God, that you'll make enough people mad that they'll think you're weird enough anyway. All right. That's fine. But but uh, you got to keep the truth in there. Amen. All right. And so David, number one, praise. Number two, he worshiped. And the third thing we're going to say is this, is that praise and worship got David through the worst times. David knew how to praise during the storm. And that's what David did. When it got bad, 
David went to praise, man. He went to, and he, every time, you'll see it, I'll show you some more examples here. But David started, I thank you, Lord, you are my rock, my redeemer, you're my foundation, you are a strong fortress around me. He's, that's praising God is what he's doing. You know, he's saying, you, the Lord is my light and my salvation, for whom shall I be afraid? I lift my eyes into the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. These are, this is David praising God when things got really, really bad, David would start praising. And so this got David through some of the worst times. Let's flip back. I know we're flipping a lot tonight. First Samuel chapter 30. And I, I this is to me, I, I absolutely love this story. First Samuel chapter 30. So you've got to learn like David did to, I mean, praise and worship God in the hard times. So first Samuel chapter 30, we're going to look here at verses one through six. This is a story of David going through a really bad time, but he shows us what to do in a really bad time here. First Samuel 30, we're going to look at verses one through six. It says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. This was at the time where David and all of his men lived. They come home from battle and their city is burned to the ground. That could make for a really bad day. That could just really rain on your parade right there. And so... Verse 2, it says, they had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. So thank God they didn't kill them, but they, they, the women and children, everything is gone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. And they just came off of a military victory here. And these are strong courageous warrior men right here. Some of David's men could kill 100 men just by themselves single-handedly. These are pure manly men warriors. And here they are. They wept so much that they had no more tears to cry. They were this crushed over this. It says, David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. Now look at this, though. Verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began they began to talk of stoning him. They're turning on David now because, listen, emotional people, they 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 do irrational things. Right. They these manly men, warriors here, if, if, if it was bad enough for them to weep till they could weep no more. Listen, they're going to look for a target for their emotion. That's what happens. And so they're, they don't know what to do. They're, well, this is David's fault. He took us out to war. They're actually going to turn on David right here and stone him. Wow. Emotions will do crazy things to you. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. I love what the King James says right here. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's, I like that better. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How do you think that David encouraged himself? I think David started praising. I think David started going back 
to all the things that God had done before. Lord, you are my shield. You are my protection. You are my fortress. You are my all in all. I remember the time that you did this. You saved me from Saul. You saved me from the giant. You saved me from the lion. You saved me from the bear. You are great. And I, I mean, I know for sure David started praising God right here and built himself up. David did something that a lot of people don't know how to do. David didn't wait for somebody else to encourage him because there was nobody there. They wanted to kill him. He couldn't look at any of those guys and say, man, bro, could you just encourage me right now? I'm really going through it, dude. Could you just give me a hug? I get these were not hugging men. I can tell you that much. But, but David, nobody else there was going to do it for him. David had to encourage himself and the Lord his God. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how in a hard time? To encourage yourself and the Lord your God when nobody else can do it for you. You've got to learn this if you're going to win these battles. David knew how to encourage himself. And David right there with all these angry men and, and, and confusion, a smoke rising from the ground, their homes in ashes, everything they'd worked for is just rubble. David at that point in time, he does what David does. He starts praising and he starts encouraging himself. And the Lord his God and starts and starts building himself up so much that he rallies the troops. And you can read this whole story. I'm not going to read it all for you. But but he rallies the troops and they find out where the Amalekites are. They chase them down. And I think it's verse 17 of this chapter. David gets up there and it says he raids their camp and all his men go charging into the Amalekite camp. And they just start. I mean, they go nuts on them. They go loco. They lay the smack down on all these guys. And it says they slaughtered the Amalekites from the morning of that day until the very next evening. They were slaughtering the Amalekites. That could be pretty bloody for the children. So you may want to read that before bedtime tonight, but it's a really cool story, all right? Just not before bedtime. And so, I mean, can you imagine that? You're looking at like 36 hours of of rage and slaughtering. I mean, they're going nuts on these guys. And David and his men recover everything. They get their wives, their children back, all their stuff. And then they take the Amalekite stuff just for messing with them, all right? And so they paid the price. But what happened is this is that when things got really bad, David encouraged himself. David turned to praise when it got really bad. And so David could have pouted, but he decided to praise. All right. And so a lot of people, they turn to pouting when they should be turning to praising. And I'll tell you this. I like the results of praise a lot more better than the results of pout. Because pouting, you may, you know, you're... Throw yourself a pity party feeling bad for you. And I mean, go ahead. But that's not going to help you any. That's probably just going to make things worse. Praising wins battles and gets you out of the situation. And when David encouraged himself, then he could encourage all of these guys. And they went, they got all of their stuff back. And it was, it's an incredible story that you should read. But um, I want to show you one last example tonight. And that's back in Psalms, Psalm 56. Last example tonight. This kind of cap it all off for us. Psalm 56. So you're starting to see a, a little bit of, of, of how David was a praiser and a worshiper. Amen. You're seeing how God called him a man after my own heart. So Psalm 56. And this is one of those psalms that tells us 
of what was going on in, in David's life, where he wrote this from. So let's read the header here. Your Bible may, may have the header on this, but it says Psalm 56 for the choir director. This is a Psalm of David regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath. Does this sound like fun to be seized by the Philistines in Gath? Okay, so this is probably a low point, probably a bad time in his life. He was seized by the Philistines in Gath. And it's, it's to be sung to the tune, Dove on Distant Oaks. Does anybody know Dove on Distant Oaks? It's one of my favorites, too. I love Dove on Distant Oaks. So anyway, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But Psalm 56, verse 4, and uh, it says this. David, remember, this is the time he was seized by the Philistines in Gath. Here's where he's writing this. He says, I praise God for what he has promised. He says, I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? He's writing, he's singing this as he is uh, captured, as he sees this, he's a prisoner, he's praising God to the tune of doves on distant oaks. But he, anyway, he, he's singing this and he's saying, well, I'm not going to be afraid of people. God's promised me this. I praise God right now. What can people do to me? I don't even care. And he's praising God during this time. Look at a couple more verses here. Psalm, uh, or excuse me, verses 9 and 10. Same Psalm, verses 9 and 10. David's praising. He says, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. That's good news, people. When you can, when you can boldly say, I know this much, God is on my side. When you're surrounded by enemies, when you're surrounded by troubles, it's incredible to look trouble in the eye and say, I feel bad for you. God's on my side. You're in trouble, man. That's what David was doing. That's praising God right there. He says, I'm praising you for what you've promised. I'm not afraid of people. What can they do to me? God's on my side. You've got to get this, that God is on your side. Verse 10, he says, I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. And so this is another prime example of David praising God, even in the difficult times. And we have got to learn this lesson because David was successful. You read in Second Samuel when he takes over Judah and Israel, he's got both both kingdoms under his reign. Time and time again, it says David became more and more successful. He conquered more land. God blessed him with more stuff. David just kept rolling, 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 doing awesome with the blessings of God. And I know it's because David was a praiser. David was a worshiper. David knew where to turn when things got difficult. He turned to praising God. And again, God said, this is a man after my own heart. And so I encourage you tonight, know the difference between praise and worship and do both of them. Praise God and worship God. Do both of those things every day. Do both of those things and watch what God can do in your life. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.